Brothers and sisters, it is my heartfelt prayer that your heart will be enlightened and encouraged and given clarity throughout this uh, word from God that we get from the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation today. I would encourage you to get your Bible out. We will have on the slides the scriptures that I'll be teaching you, but if you get your own Bible out, it might even help you because you could, you could see it in the context of the scriptures themselves. So the first question I want to ask you is, who's in charge around here? Doesn't it feel like this little booger is, this uh, virus? I, I didn't know what it looked like three weeks ago, but I can't get this picture out of my mind. It seems like it's dominating so much of our lives. <clears throat> and you know, we, you and I feel like God is in control because we're people of faith. And then that gets tested by something like this. And we, we see the, the indiscriminate way that it runs through the planet and among people. And every time we hear of a new case or a new death, we start to ask, God, wh why? Wh are you really in charge? We don't like to admit that we do that, but we do it. And I want this word from God to reassure you that he's not only in charge, but he is guiding all things to a blessed end. Go to the next slide. Here's one of the time, moments when I got tested by the um, coronavirus. It's the report this last week that this Bill Barton had been taken by the virus. 91 years old, a member of a church in Arkansas. They had a, 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 an event for children uh, a couple weeks ago. And he, was a, he is a greeter at his church. He's a church leader. And he was there and he was a part of it. 35 people got infected. The, the pastor and his wife both got it. pastor's wife survived but was hospitalized. But Bill Barton was taken to glory through the coronavirus. And I thought to myself, Lord, he was serving you. Are you really in charge? He's a saint and a, and a strength in that congregation. And yet you let this virus take him. And he probably got it while he was serving you. Here's another one. Young man, I don't know how you say that name. Kios Kelly? 48-year-old nurse in New York, uh, his own hospital admitted that they didn't have enough gowns and that they'd make him wear one, uh, all of them to wear them. He, he was managing other nurses, in fact, and he always would jump in and help them on the floor. And uh, he, he'd wear one gown like for a whole shift. He got the virus and died within just a few days alone after caring for people as they died alone. And I asked, Lord, are you really in charge? Here's another one. 17-year-old boy, you may have heard about this one in California. His, his, he started showing symptoms. His mother took him to a local, one of those 24-hour emergency care places. They, they asked him if they had insurance. They didn't. They said, well, we can't treat you. His symptoms spiked markedly as they drove him over to the, the full-fledged hospital, and he died within hours because his treatment didn't come soon enough. At least that's what the medical people are saying. His name's been protected up until now. And I ask, Lord, is the virus in charge or are you in charge? That question gets rattled around in our hearts and in our minds whenever it seems like somebody's changing what is normal for us. And when it seems like people that are unjustly taken senselessly, randomly by a virus. And we're all thinking about these things a lot. And so I wanted to bring you a word from God. This isn't the first time, and that's an understatement, 
It's not unique to us that troubles sweeping through our lives, sometimes collectively in a group, would make us, uh, many of us, ask the very same questions. Are you really in charge? I just want to hit you with a few more facts to show you that we don't want to forget that this is actually standard on planet Earth. It's not, even though our lives are disrupted and we're trying not to keep this, we're trying to keep this virus from spreading by changing our our social lives and our work lives and our economy is tanking because of it. Actually, to have major issues in the population of human beings is standard. Americans tend to think, oh no, it's a disruption into everyday life, but actually it's standard. Go to the next slide. The coronavirus is a midget among killers on the earth. The number one killer is heart disease. 647,000 Americans alone die every year of heart disease. Right now, the big news item for the coronavirus is that 16,000 people across the planet have died. 647,000 a year in America die of heart disease. Cancer, 609,000 a year die from cancer. Diabetes, it's, uh, let me get that number. I had it written it down, but I don't have that one memorized. 79,000 people a year die from the complications caused by diabetes. The coronavirus may not even get half of that. Car wrecks in America, 36,000 people a year. Double right now of the coronavirus. There'll probably be fewer this year, though, because there's less of us on the road. And here's one. The common flu this winter has already killed 38,000 people in America. What I'm trying to say is, although we are, our sense, sensibilities are heightened by the total social disruption because this virus is a fast killer and it's moving rapidly, it's still a midget compared to the suffering and death that we all live in. And here's the, bot, the, 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 the one about war. 11 million Russians died in World War II. 11 million, counting the, the, the civilians. Um, the Civil War, uh, over 100,000 people in the United States. In Americans dying in World War II was uh, 400,000. In World War I, 118,000. When the 1918 Spanish flu swept through America, 675,000 people died in 1918 in America. And you know what else? Look at the bottom of that slide. Everyone that lived 120 years ago died. <laughs> Why am I being so negative? Why am I? I'm trying to sober us up that we don't think that the big enemy is this midget called the coronavirus. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. And we should be careful because we owe that to ourselves and to God and to our neighbor. But spiritually speaking, we got to keep our bearings. And we've got, when we're asking God, where are you? He's going to say, I'm right where I was when I walked into the garden with my heart breaking that Adam and Eve had brought sin and death into the world. And this is what I said to them, through, through pain, you will bear children. From the sweat of your brow, you will eat. And dust you are, and to dust you will return. And this has been the sentence on sinners our whole life. 
And life is about the grace of God, learning to have the gift of life, sinner that you're born to be in your t lifetime, and finding the grace of God in the rescuer, Jesus. And Jesus has been preaching that from Genesis 3.15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and Revelation, and I'm going to show you it in Revelation today. The people of God, go to the next slide, the people of God were having a very difficult time processing what was happening to them in the time of the book of Revelation. The, the emperor of the Western world where the early church lived was Domitian during this period of the end of the first century, about 90 AD. He was persecuting the church. He was persecuting a lot of people, but the Christians were targeted. They weren't really liked by Romans because they wouldn't sacrifice to the gods or burn incense to the Roman gods. They were social misfits, narrow-minded, exclusive, saying that Christ, the, their Savior, our Savior, was the only way. And frankly, it angered Domitian, who wanted to have a lot of control over all the people in many ways in his kingdom. And so he zeroed in on these social misfits, the Christians. And he did a lot of damage throughout his, his kingdom. One big thing he did was he took the last living apostle, instead of putting him to death, he stuck him out on a desert island called Patmos. There was also a lot of disease around. There had been a famine that had swept through. It's talked about in the book of Acts just a few decades earlier, and those things were always happening, and you couldn't go to your HEB or call somebody up and have them deliver it to your door. People, the, the Christians were scared. And they were asking, God, are you really in charge? Are you really? And what poured out of heaven was the book of Revelation with these beautiful visions where it starts. Now I'm going to go to the next slide. Go, it starts with the glorious Savior appears in all of his glory in chapter 1. And John on the island of Patmos sees him. Well, Jesus is still glorious and he's still in charge. Then Jesus gives messages to John. He says, he says, I'm walking among the churches. And then in chapter 2 and 3, he has a message for each individual congregation showing that he sees them. They're not, they're not by themselves. He's watching and he sees their failures even though they're going through persecution. And he encourages and he rebukes and he tells them, he speaks into each church's life. He's right there with them and it proves that he's right there with us too. And then in chapter 4, as the book gets on its way, the book of Revelation, the visions start. And the visions that are starting are, are all building upon one another. The very first vision sets the scene. It's the beautiful glories of heaven. And, the, and you see God in the middle of heaven sitting on his throne. John does. And he doesn't talk about facial features. God is bigger than us. And it's God the Father, the creator of all things. And you, you, you hear about lightning and thunder and rainbows and all, a sea out in front of him and the Holy Spirit in the form of seven spirits out in front of the throne. And, and everyone in heaven is praising him, especially four living creatures around the throne, which represent creation. And the four living creatures fall down and praise him and say, you are in charge of your creation, the planet earth. You take care of us. You are our God and our Savior and the Father is pleased with that. And the John and us say, oh, God the Father is still in charge. And there he is in heaven. But then the Father reveals he's got a scroll. Scrolls 
in their day were used for many things, especially edicts that changed history. Remember when Uriah took a scroll out to Joab and it changed the history of Uriah's life because David wrote inside the scroll, have Uriah killed in battle, and it changed history. Remember the, the scrolls in, in the book of uh, Esther that went out and said, here's the edict that on a certain day you can kill all the Jews in our land. And then another edict went out and said, all the Jews can fight for themselves. The scroll is the unleashing of the future. It's the dictating of what the future is going to be like. And the father holds up a scroll, and it has seven strings around it. And there's a, a wax seal on all seven strings. And he holds up the scroll, and he says, Who is worthy to open the scroll? Silence. Nobody's worthy. Not the angels. Not people. Nobody. And John says, he, he got so caught up in it, he started crying. Nobody's worthy to dictate the future. That's what it feels like when a coronavirus is running around. Who's in charge? Who's worthy to dictate the future? And this, guy, this elder in the scene, which represents one of God's leaders of the church, he says to John in the, out of the vision, don't cry. The lamb who's the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy to open the scroll. And suddenly appears a lamb that looks like it's been killed. It's got a gaping wound and there's blood there. And he looks like he's been killed, but he's not. He's alive. And he steps in and he walks over to the father. And he takes the scroll. And this is what it says, chapter 5. He's worthy because he purchased people for God. God the Father will hand the scroll to Jesus, but no other being, spiritual or physical. He'll hand it to Jesus because Jesus did what the God the Father always wanted. He wanted to rescue humanity, not condemn them. And Jesus was the one, His Holy Son, who did it. And He's worthy to dictate the future. So Jesus takes the scroll. And we're moving into chapter 6 now. And we're ready to see what happens. And he starts to open. As he opens each string, then the idea is that it's a new thought about how he's guiding the future. But it's kind of scary. Because as he opens the first four seals, what, go to the next slide. What comes out are four horsemen, one with each seal. The first horseman is a white horse. You would think maybe this is the Christ, but it, actually it's not. This white horse represents kingdoms of this world. It's a man with a bow, and he's got a, a crown, and he's going out to conquer. This is like when I Iraq went into little Kuwait and just wiped out people, and then America came in and wiped out people. It's, it's countries overriding, and Germany pushing all its, all its borders out across all of Europe, and the Allies pushing back. It's Jesus is unleashing the fact that there's going to be nations who sweep through history during the whole time he's guiding it, and they change all the rules, and they change all the, just like Alexander the Great had done and the Romans had done, and it's going to happen until the end of time. He opens another seal, and out comes death by the sword. People who die from violent deaths, and whether it's in big wars or little skirmishes or a household, domestic dispute. It says their death by the sword. And then he opens another scroll and it's a black horse and it's famine and economic collapse. And, and there's this really uh, interesting way where he says, so the, uh, a quart of wheat cost a day's wages. And, and who, and he says, don't let anybody mess with the oil or the wine. 
In other words, everybody's on edge about the fact that the economy has blown up and Jesus is guiding all of this. Does this sound familiar? Who's in charge? The man, Jesus, opening the seals on the scroll. And then comes the pale horse, which is appropriate today for us to get in, read the passage and talk about briefly. So let's look at it. Chapter 6, verse 7. When the land, Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was the fourth horse, a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and the Hades, hell, followed close behind him. They were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Really? Jesus opened the scroll and all these bad things he's in charge of happen. Yeah, he's not the author of them. He limits them and he's in charge of them. And because everyone is a sinner, every soul has to die. And some of us are going to die by the sword, some by famine, some by disease. But we're all going to die. So when we're asking as children of death, of the first Adam, dust you are and dust you return, who's really in charge? Jesus says, oh, oh, I'm in charge. And God the Father says, yeah, he's in charge because he purchased souls for men. But one of the most acrid, acidic thoughts is that God would allow his own believers to die because they're believers. That really gets our goat. So look at the next paragraph. Click to that. When he opened the fifth seal, Jesus has something to tell us about this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. There were already lots of martyrs in the end of the first century. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth, and get this, and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, as they had been, was completed. How long? You know, there is no evidence that people in heaven have any angst. This is not a picture. That it's a symbol. The whole book is a symbol. This is not a picture of angst in heaven. This is a picture that God sees what our prayers are. So he gave John a picture of the blood of people crying out. People and their souls crying out to be avenged. Just like he said to Cain. The very first death was the murder of a believer. Cain killed Abel, and he said, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground. Where's your brother? This is God saying, I see. I'm giving you a vision that, yes, justice and anyone who lives by faith cries out how long. How long? This drives us crazy. How long will you let this go on? It's really the people on earth, people like us, who have the angst. And God's saying, I see it. But what's the answer? How long? 
I'm not going to tell you. That's the answer. The answer is just a little while longer until everyone that's going to be called home by martyrdom is called home. In the Gospels, when Jesus was talking, he said, the difficult times at the end of the world will continue until the last elect makes it into heaven. But while you wait, God says, I'm going to give you something. A white robe. And this is characteristic of Revelation. And if you're not a student of Revelation, I just got to tell you, you get this little scene of something and it gets explained more later. It's called borrowing to me. It's borrowing from one vision to the other and expanding. And so it first showed up in one of the letters to the churches that there was a white robe given. And now it says these were given a white robe to wear. But the next chapter, and I'm going to show it to you, explains the white robe. And it's an answer of peace and solace and faith and rest for this very week that we're living in while we're all freaked out about a virus that seems to be in control. White robe. I'm going to summarize what comes right after this, though. In, the book, in chapter 6, he says, I'm going to show you the end of the world. God starts to break loose all the, found, all the foundations of the earth. And his judgment day is no respecter of persons. You can't hide away in a palace or a white house, or, or uh, uh, you can't hide away in a little hovel under a little bush because you're poor. He says, rich and poor, slave and free, king and paupers, they all are crying out, don't judge us! And they're running to hide from the judgment of God because the Lamb is about to judge every soul on the planet. But remember, He's given white robes to some. Then chapter 7 opens up, which is just the next vision. There was a cry in heaven to the the, the angels in charge of the four winds of the earth, and they collected all of God's people. Remember he said, until the last one comes in, I'm going to let this trouble go on. And then they call in all the believers, and they're counted there. And it's very powerful if you understand the power of numbers. They counted these many and these many, and these numbers are all symbolic. And from all the tribes of Israel, which represent all believers, they're all there. They're collected. And then chapter 7 opens up halfway through the chapter to the beautiful vision of what heaven is like. And now, we who are sitting here on earth going, where are you? Are you in charge? We're looking up, and we're looking in heaven, we're going, ah, I see the end. And this is what it says. So go to the next. Yeah, there you go. Go past that. We skipped those. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. I want to read it out of the Bible here. You've got it on the screen. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes. Oh, there they are again. Now this isn't just the souls that were martyred. This is all the people in heaven. They're wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands. Last time you heard palm branches was on Palm Sunday. That's coming on our calendar next Sunday, a week from today. But they praised Jesus on Palm Sunday as he came into Jerusalem as the king who would save them. But he was, he was coming to save them by dying on the cross. In the great celebration, being gathered to heaven isn't until we get there after Judgment Day. All people will be collected there. So they're holding palm branches for the 
the big Palm Sunday forever in heaven. And they're wearing white robes. And this is what they say. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, the Father, and the Lamb. Now, I'm going to skip down to verse 13. It's there for you on the screen. One of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. This is, a, this, this is just divine pedagogy, teaching technique. By asking a question that the, the God sends in the vision through an elder, he's getting John to make sure that John sees for us the main point of the vision at this, at this level. He says, I want you to know about the people in the white robes. What is the common thought on the planet? The people that are in heaven are there because they're the good guys. The bad guys, they all go to hell. The good guys all go to heaven. It's in all the movies. You'll see it in news. You'll see it. They don't really talk much about heaven, but they, they talk about the good and the bad. And that's not right. Everyone's bad. We're all sinners. Before a holy God, there is no salvation in anyone's works. And so the, the elder represents God, and he pulls John up and says, I want to show you something. These people wearing white robes, are not the, it's not the purity they bring to heaven. It's the purity that Christ gives them. And this is what he says. These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. Now, who just called earth the great tribulation? God did in his vision. So when you go complaining, are you really in charge? Because this is a tribulation. You're not telling him anything. He saw, saw all this coming when he walked into the garden and said, you're going to have a miserable life and it's going to end in death. But there's a way out. These are they who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white. In the blood of the Lamb. Remember borrowing? Chapter 4, chapter 5, Lamb comes. He looks like he's been slain. He can open the scroll because he's purchased men for God. The one that's running history right now is a slain Lamb. It's Jesus. And the goal of all these things, of letting earth be trouble like it is, is that we would look up and say, what's the rescue? What's the point? And he would say, I'm the rescuer. I'm the point. I have saved you from your sins and your troubles and your death make you face the fact that you're not a God, that you need God's love and forgiveness. And we did it for you. You can wash your life in mine or you can try to stand before justice without me. There is only those two choices. The thief on the cross, one of them, wanted to wash his life in Christ. The other one, he wanted to try to make it on his own cockiness. And you can see it today. For the large part, dear Christian, all of the news that you're addicted to watch right now is atheistic. What I mean is, God's just not there. Every now and then someone will say pray and mention the name God. But most, for the most part, they even edited out the Christian's comments about the meaning of all this. 
You're going to get the meaning, though, here in the Word. You're going to get it from your church, the church on earth. This is all about salvation. Everyone's going to die somehow. This is leading us to face our mortality, which is our fault. So we will learn about immortality, which is Jesus' credit. That we would wash our robes, our lives, and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus once told a parable. He said there was a wedding banquet, and the guy that ran the banquet for his daughter and family, he came in and he saw people at the banquet because he'd been issuing white robes at the beginning of the banquet for people to all be blessed and looking alike in the banquet. And he found a guy not wearing a white robe, and he threw him out. And Jesus says, it's the same way it will be with you if you try to get into heaven without me. You'll be thrown out. There was nobody more exclusive than Jesus Christ and inclusive at the same time. Washed our robes and made them white. So here's the goal. We got to get that white robe. I, I, I know <laughs> that some of you have been anxious to get toilet paper and hand sanitizer and masks, and ventilators, and robes. But the robe we really need the most is the white robe. Because if we avoid the coronavirus, something else is going to get our bodies. But not our souls. And our bodies will be preserved, even though they decay, in God's mind and heart to be raised up on the last day. They've come out of the great tribulation. So what's heaven like? It's what we want earth to be like. Let's go to the next. Revelation 7, 15 to 17. Therefore, these people in white robes are before the throne of God, and they serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. With us in climate-controlled spaces in modern history, we, we, this doesn't resonate emotionally with us, but it's really what it's saying is nothing that you're, the ancients were day-to-day -day scorched by will happen. T today he would say, never again will they be afraid of a virus. Never again will they be afraid of, afraid of persecution. Why? For the Lamb at the center of the throne, He will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And here's the cool part. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. We're going to cry in this life before we get there. If we're not crying somehow, we're not living through the tribulation. Maybe we're numbing ourselves with our own gall. But we're going to shed tears. Because this life is about this. Jesus is in charge of it, though. You might say, well, that, i got a question. Would God allow his people whom he loves to go through it with the rest of the planet? Like Bill Barton, the 91-year-old church member? Well, yeah. You know why? Because, first of all, we all have a sinful nature that wants to be prideful and not brought to its knees just like the unbelieving world does 
And that sinful nature wants to take us away. Secondly, he wants us to show the hope of the gospel to our brothers and sisters in the human family around us while we're going through it with them. It's better to be going through it with them with the hope of Christ than it is to be standing outside of the trouble saying, oh, you're really in trouble, but there's a way out. No, we're in the trouble saying we trust in Christ. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we have the hope of Christ. So let's live out that hope. And since we have the hope of Christ, let's not let fear drive us, but let's let faith drive us. And what, what in Galatians 5, it says faith, the only thing that counts is faith working itself out in love. So faith in God drives you to love. That doesn't mean you take risks you shouldn't take, because love would mean that you don't make yourself a carrier. But you, you don't stop loving people. And you're thinking right now as I'm speaking, you're thinking of ways you have and ways you want to love people. And that's the Holy Spirit working inside of you. Chase that. Love people and serve them. And then finally, every individual Christian and the church collectively needs to proclaim and herald the real meaning of Christ in the midst of this struggle. Because this is making people sit up and listen. This is making them ask the questions that they've numbed themselves to while they were chasing earthly prosperity that's been driven away. This is making people go, wait, what's the real meaning of life? And Jesus has given us the real meaning. So let us proclaim it. Let us share it. Let us live it. And then let's look forward to heaven because we're already wearing the white robe. Amen.